MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. It's your favorite Quentin Quarantinos coming back again live in direct or digital full effect. Uh, we are. We hope this episode finds you happy and healthy as can be. Uh, we're doing. We, we're doing pretty well. We've got our own personal and professional milestones coming up. Uh, but as always, uh, we are here to keep the podcast lights on until we get black bagged or until we go full Mad Max. Uh, we've been getting a ton of correspondence for which we're grateful. Uh, in email form, uh, in social media, and in voicemail, there's a particular voicemail that inspired today's episode. Um, and, and Matt, you have a uh, you have a version of this that we cleaned up for public consumption, right? Yes this this person called in, you know, the way a lot of people do, and gave their information and everything, and just told us about an issue, a problem, and in this case, it was someone who, you know, works in a capacity related to this that we wanted to remove the name of this person. Um, 
and you'll see why perhaps as we listen to it. Um, this person called us in February and just had some pretty alarming information for us. So I think we should just go ahead and play it and uh, then we'll talk about it. Hi, guys. I think I'm calling since I'm sitting in my office a little frustrated right now. I just listened to your show on COVID-19, and you were talking about conspiracies. I work for the Nevada Indian Commission. What I'm doing today is much like what the Massachusetts governor did that you mentioned. We have to work with the National Guard to get tribes PPE. So... Health and Human Services, IHS, is supposed to work with tribes and help them get these. The tribes are making their orders. IHS is taking those orders and never getting to them. So we believe that what they're doing is using the paperwork to show that they're getting the supplies that the federal government is hoarding them. So our National Guard is now getting our list. They're going to grab the supplies, and they're going to give them to the tribes. And... Um, Probably somehow, somewhere, somebody's making money off this. It's not a conspiracy. I mean, this is stuff I work with every day. As a long, long time listener, I really appreciate you, and I hope that you all stay safe. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sobering stuff. Yeah. And again, uh, as as Matt said, that that occurred in February, several months ago now. Uh, and it, it is painting a picture. First off, we want to say when we heard this message, we were both grateful to you, caller, and we hope you're listening now. Um, we're also horrified to learn the extent to which this crisis has grown. The, uh, what, you know, it's something that we kind of predicted a while back in a COVID episode where if the federal leadership is not cohesive, uh, and governors feel it is endangering their constituents, they will band together. So we've seen not one, but three regional alliances of different governors using National Guard, which is what the National Guard is for, by the way, uh, to get those supplies. Uh, but this is affecting the native population in a way that's not really getting into the headlines, you know. And this, the, you know, something interesting about the timeline here, caller, when you would called us, we had we had been researching but had not yet recorded nor published our earlier episode on forced assimilation of Native peoples. Uh, we want to thank everyone from both the U.S. and abroad who responded to that recent episode. Uh, we had a lot of people write in from Canada, a lot of people write in from Australia. And one thing that I, I don't know about you guys, but one thing that really struck me about that uh, is that the response internationally, uh, we found a lot of people unfortunately saying, you know, you can mad lib the entire episode on Native assimilation and just replace Native American with, you know, uh, indigenous people or Aboriginal people of Australia or with First Nations. Yeah, it's certainly a fairly common thing that we, we've seen in a lot of places where the indigenous peoples just it's the view, I guess, from the conquering people is that you just have to assimilate and make them a part of your own or, or eradicate. 
And that's the thing. This is not some kind of uh, problem that's been solved, some kind of relic, you know, uh, from history. Um, it is absolutely ongoing. And there is uh, a new developing chapter um, in what could probably best be described as um, a, a horror story that I think was set up perfectly by our caller. And, and I think we all know that the title of this chapter is COVID. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think it is appropriate uh, to describe it that way. This is not some long forgotten crisis from a dusty history book, and it's far from a brand new problem. It's a new iteration. And I, I do like to think of it as a long novel, a horror story in which this is just the newest chapter. And if this is, uh, if that analogy holds, which I'm pretty happy with, then the title of this chapter would be COVID. So, here are the facts. To start off, we're not going to waste time today telling you what coronavirus is, what COVID-19 is. We have plenty of episodes in the back that do a, a pretty good job, uh, we think, of, of giving you the lay of the land there. So check those out for more information. Right now, we're going to do something we do every episode, which is this. We'll give you the current statistics of COVID-19 in the United States. Again, we still do not have accurate numbers, so we'll have to give you a range. Uh, the CDC uh, and various other institutions disagree, but everybody's kind of in the same ballpark right now, which is either a good sign or if you're someone who thinks this is intentionally being misreported one way or the other, this is a sign of increased collaboration. Confirmed cases are, uh, according to the CDC, 1,551,095 as of May 22nd, 2020, uh, New York Times rounded that down to 1.5 million. And the deaths continue to come. Um, again, these numbers may be pretty low, just depending on how the reporting is actually coming through. According to the CDC in the United States, there have been 93,061 deaths. And the New York Times has it a little bit higher, around 94,717 deaths. And as we established earlier uh, pre in previous episodes, the thing about those numbers uh, is that they have a lot of problems with methodology, with accuracy. One of the big questions is whether that is through incompetence, whether it is through simply being overwhelmed, or whether it is somehow through design. But in our previous episodes, we didn't talk about something that's extremely important. And it's it's a huge part of today's show as well. And that is the demographics of people being infected. You see, COVID is not an equal opportunity killer. In the United States, certain demographics have been hit much, much more heavily. That's right. According to preliminary data, uh, sex, age, and ethnicity all seem to play uh, roles. Scientists are still working to get a better sense of what all of this truly means, but here's kind of the lay of the land as we understand it. When it comes to age, the evidence points to the idea that infected patients' risk of dying from the coronavirus increases with every additional decade. Um, in one study in particular, published in the Lancet in March, uh, researchers um, compiled data from 38 different countries that suggest the virus kills up to 13.4% of patients 80 years 
uh, and older, compared with an overall estimated case fatality rate of 1.38%. All of this checks out um, with just kind of the empirical data that we have just from watching the news and, and following the story. The elderly are absolutely the most at risk, largely because of reasons of immunity. Yeah, this is just something that is a reality. As your body gets older, uh, your immune system just doesn't function as well as it used to. And that's just the reality that we all face, at least for now, until some magical technology comes along that stops that from happening. You know, within your body, things like T cells, macrophages, they all slow down their processes. They they don't, again, they don't function as... as, um, swiftly as they once did. And your body also slows down the production of lymphocytes, um, or at least it produces, you know, fewer of them. It's, it's a real problem because with COVID, with, you know, when you're infected by coronavirus, if you've got a weak immune system, it's way harder for your body to then defend against this new outsider that's coming through, this invader that's in your system. You know, and that could be anything. And that's why over the past several decades, we've seen pretty alarming numbers with the common cold, like flu, when, you know, in older populations, especially in nursing homes and other facilities like that. And this is even worse if you've got some other previously existing conditions, like if your heart or your kidneys or your liver, your lungs maybe just aren't working as well as they once did because you've had a disease in the past. The ravages of time. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think we need to hit on a very important sidebar here, which is pre-existing conditions. The term pre-existing conditions is something that a lot of people in the U.S. learned uh, from a private insurance company, often the hard way. But it, it plays a big role in COVID-19 as well. Uh, the Chinese government has their own Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and they issued a study that found people with no underlying chronic medical conditions had a fatality rate in general of around 0.9%. But for people with cardiovascular disease, just that one variable increased the fatality rate to 10.5%. Respiratory disease ups your likelihood uh, to 6.3%. Uh, even people with hypertension, hypertension is incredibly common. There are little, they're like 323 million or so people who live in the United States officially. Uh, and of those uh, around a hundred million have hypertension. It's so common. It means that, you know, well, less than one out of three people have some form of this. And that takes your fatality rate from 0.9% to 6%. There may also, it must be said, be some sort of genetic factor here, but honestly, I dug into it and the published science just isn't there yet. We can, we can say there's, there's maybe something, but we don't know the mechanisms and it would be irresponsible uh, for anyone other than a genetic scientist or an epidemiologist to claim otherwise. We do know in terms of biology and genetics uh, that biological sex, not gender, not the not the social construct thing, but biological sex does also play a, uh, a crucial role. And I've I've got some bad news for us guys. Not the winners in this one. 
So, yeah, it's true. Uh, while men and women um, have roughly equal rates of COVID-19 infection, um, more men are dying from the disease in every single country. In China, for example, where the virus originated, 64% of deaths uh, were men. In Italy, 63% of coronavirus-related deaths have been men. Um, and as we've discussed, you know, this data is not perfect, uh, but based on the data that we have gathered uh, in New York City, in particular, the epicenter of uh, the North American outbreak, men made up 55% of known COVID-19 hospitalizations but 62% of fatalities as early as April. And and the thing is, we don't really know why, which uh, means it's likely a mix of factors. Um, men are mo more likely to be smokers, for example. And uh, yeah, I know it's gross, but practice less good hygiene, I guess. Um, it, I don't know, Ben, I think you've got some stats around this that are a little bit eye-opening. Yeah, yeah. I, I've peppered this... I peppered today's story with some, uh, I guess, moments of levity. Uh, this one is is kind of fart jokey, uh, but but it's true. All for all the dudes listening to this, or you know, even if you identify as dude or whatever, uh, we're in general grosser in in the restroom and in the kitchen. Uh, one in twenty men say that they barely ever wash their hands with soap after going to the bathroom at home, for instance. And there's a, there's a pretty cool, well, eye-opening site uh, on, I pulled this from yougov.com, uh, where, where uh, already four in 10 Americans don't always wash our hands with soap when we go to the bathroom. Uh, but men are, men are by far the worst, which means we're just giving opportunities for things like bacteria uh, to to spread, you know? Men are indeed the worst. Just putting that out there real quick as a father. Of a oh, daughter. yeah, totally. <laughs> totally, totally. But as gross as we are, it doesn't quite explain this disparity that we've been seeing, right? If you're just thinking about New York where 55% of the hospitalizations are male, but then somehow 62% of the fatalities are male. Um, it just doesn't, that doesn't compute. I mean, we are yeah. talking about a, a five, what, what is it like 5% or something of, of men. So like you're almost getting there um, just to, to add that little extra grossness uh, to explain it. But no, 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 it, it, it doesn't. Men are also uh, generally less likely to see a doctor, even correcting for all other factors, socioeconomic, etc. But you're right, Matt. This does not explain the, the, the gap here. So this is just spitballing. Maybe this is a little bit TED talky. But if we're being absolutely honest, and if you, you know, if you read enough about the human species in any field of study— it's apparent in the grand scheme of things, this is more bad news for the dudes in the audience. If you're a dude, you are not as biologically important as a woman, full stop. I mean, you know, women are horrifically repressed in societies throughout the world, but in terms of the actual beyond politics species, women are way more important. Women are the only ones who can reliably carry a human child to term, rear it to adulthood, and that's 
all that our species cares about from the biological level. So it makes sense then that if the human species was forced to sacrifice some of its own, it's going to go for the elderly first and then the males. I mean, not for nothing are so many young men sent off to die in war. They're just not as necessary to a functioning society as women, which is super cold. And I hope that's not a surprise to anyone, but it comes in play in pandemics too. We know like the, this is not, this is not something that uh, the, your world leader sat around and decided in a smoky back room. Even if they weren't there, even if no government existed, we are hardwired to sacrifice dudes first. You can see it in the sex-based differences of the immune system. Like, take the X chromosome. Everybody has an X chromosome. You know, you, Everybody has at least one. It stores genes that are incredibly important to your body's immune system, as well as microRNA. And women, if you'll recall, have two X chromosomes. Uh, they also produce more estrogen. That's proven to help with immune cell activity. Uh, testosterone, by the way, helps with inflammation, a.k.a. injuries. Mm-hmm. So send them to war. Uh, and uh, uh, this this means that women... Again, the biological term uh, can respond more quickly and efficiently to infection in general. In fact, early work in China, this hasn't been published yet, but it's been publicly you know, propagated. It indicates that Chinese women with COVID-19 have, in general, a higher level of antibodies than men. And it goes across the board. And there is a disparity also between the life expectancy uh, of men and women within the United States. Just to put this out there, as of 2017... Uh, life expectancy for a male, and this is just completely in general, was uh, 76.1. Yep. And for females, it was 81.1. So already, uh, there, there, there's a bit of difference in how long one is expected to live, just depending on the, your, your gender. Yeah, they did the math, right? They did the terrible, scary math. We should also point out, even in the seven so-called blue zones of the human population, that's where you have the highest likelihood of living past 100 years old, the uh, life expectancy disparity still exists. It's smaller, but but it, it still exists. Your chances of uh, living longer as a dude are just not super good. But, but... Some people may be wondering, some of our fellow listeners may be wondering, why are you pulling so many stats from China? Uh, One reason, first off, should be apparent, that's where the infection has been around the longest, so there's more data to pull. Uh, But, you know, you might say, well, what if there's something about ethnicity that's different? Because I have heard, you might be saying, and rightly so, that ethnicity does play a role in whether or not someone will contract COVID and whether or not they will die from it or be seriously injured. This is a huge, huge, messy one. In the U.S., which is still considered a developed nation, uh, racial minorities are disproportionately affected by COVID-19. If you are Latino or you are black and you are living in New York City, for instance, this disease will be literally twice as deadly for you than it would be for, like, European Americans. 
Yeah, it's insane. I mean, the black population in Michigan is only uh, about 14% of the total population, but accounts for 40% of the deaths. Um, and, and this is uh, a whole different issue than those disparities between age and biological sex. Uh, this has absolutely nothing to do with, with biology. Um, a journalist named Ibram X. Kendi um, put it perfectly uh, in a quote from an article he wrote for The Atlantic saying, quote, to explain the disparities in the mortality rate, too many politicians and commentators are noting that black people have more underlying medical conditions, but crucially, they're not explaining why. Uh, or they blame the choices made by black people or uh, poverty or obesity, but not racism. There it is. There it is, Noel. Ding, ding, ding. Racism. Yeah, these pre-existing conditions that are faced by so many minority communities, including you, you, like these medical conditions, are, let's not victim blame here. Those are the results of systematic racism. It, it affects uh, health in profound ways. Like, for instance, there's the old stereotype where you'll hear somebody say, you know, my... Um, like we, you know, we're the U.S. We have a lot of we have a lot of friends and loved ones uh, who whose parents maybe have immigrated right from a different country. And there's this old stereotype you hear all the time where it's like, oh, my parents don't trust doctors; they won't go to doctors. Well, there are studies that prove they're not just being you know recalcitrant or something. There's they have probably gone to a doctor and had the experience where the doctor takes their description of their pain or their condition much less seriously. Multiple studies confirm, specifically with black people, that doctors tend not to believe them. They tend not to believe their patients based on their skin color. That's messed up. And and that's not even like the the studies without getting too in the weeds, the studies are pretty solid. They they adjust for things um like uh self-aware bias. You know what I mean? I'm not saying the doctors are consciously being uh, real pills about this. They they just inherently have been sort of programmed by society to doubt people based on their skin color. It's true. And, and you know what? Um, ben dropped a word in there that perhaps you, like I, just had to look up. Recalcitrant. It's our word of the day. And it has exactly it, it ex exactly describes what Ben is talking about here. It is defined as having an obstinately uncooperative attitude towards authority or discipline. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm so glad that's the actual definition. Good. Vocabulary <laughs> corner on stuff they don't want you to know. I love it. Always learning ben, something new every day. Ben Ben will throw in a word like that. I would say every other episode, maybe, maybe every episode, where I have to go, let me find out what that word means. <laughs> <laughs> Bust me if I get it wrong. You know, I, I think we all we all can. Um, well, we all are paid to talk. So sometimes we get carried away. There, there are some words that I've used incorrectly in the past. You know, um, the way I see it, the way I see it is vocabulary goals. You know what I mean? Like this is an Instagrammable moment. 
I completely agree. But the takeaway of vocabulary aside from all of this is that we're still kind of unpacking all of this data, obviously. And since there's really no federal level plan for addressing this pandemic, and it's largely been kind of up to the states, um, there's really no unified accountability that scientists have to lean on, and they need that. Um, But what we are learning uh, and what we are able to start to unpack uh, in this data is is really, really disturbing. And it's the fact that certain marginalized people are absolutely being left behind. Yeah. And there's there's more to this story. There's a story that's not being told. Uh, and we, we get a snapshot of it from uh, from you, caller, who are keeping anonymous for your safety. Uh, you may have seen a statistic if you've been reading about COVID-19, as you know, as Noel said, the data is still coming in. You may have seen this statistic, but you've seen it relegated to a line or two in a lot of recent news stories and the think pieces and the, you know, uh, the highfalutin articles. And it's usually something like this. This is what it's been in recent months. Quote, some of the highest infection rates in the country have been on Native American land, Pueblos, reservations, and so on. If that's true, and it most assuredly is, that is an insane thing to leave as a throwaway aside. You know what I mean? It's it's like um, it, it, it's like saying it's like saying, hey, here's a here's a dry report on the statistics of uh, airplanes. Um, you know, it is true that recently uh, two people have been documented being able to traverse the bounds of gravity and fly unaided. Uh, but the Boeing 747 has a wind speed of X. Like, why are we why are we throwing that line away? What is going on? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. 
someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. Yeah, it, I mean, there seems to be uh, a like emergency within the emergency um, brewing right now in one of the country's most historically vulnerable populations. In the United States, there are 574 recognized, federally recognized Native American tribes, um, but they're often being underreported, misreported, or ignored entirely, um, being relegated to the that, you know, checkbox on, you know, documents you see just called other and that's the very, that's the very definition of othering right there, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> well, it is. And The Guardian, a, a UK newspaper, news organization, reported on this. And we've got a quote from them here. And I'm just going to read it. Quote, 80% of state health departments have released some racial demographic data, which has already revealed stark disparities in the impact of COVID-19 in black and Latinx communities. They're using Latinx here. Uh, we know that's a term that is uh, not perfect. Um, let's just continue on. But of those states, almost half did not explicitly include Native Americans in their breakdowns and instead categorized them under the label other. Mm, miscellaneous, basically. Yeah. Uh, Abigail Echo Hawk, who is the director of the Urban Indian Health Board and also the chief research officer of the Seattle Indian Health Board, 
responded by, I, I want to hear what you all think of this quote. I feel like she's implying that there's some cooking of the books. She says, by including us in the other category, it effectively eliminates us in the data. And there's, I feel like that's pretty valid. There, there's something else that a lot of people outside of that community probably don't know. It's something that, um, you know, to, to be fully transparent, I was not aware of until we were doing some research on the forced assimilation of Native Americans. Did you know that the Native American population in the U.S. is the only segment of the U.S. that is born with a legal right to health care? Now, everybody else in the world, that's going to be really weird to hear because if you don't live in the U.S., the odds are that at least on paper, you are born with a legal right to health care. We are not. We are absolutely not. Only the Native American population is. But still, it's it's on paper. It's in theory. But Ben, aren't we entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Right. right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. That, that pursuit really encompasses a lot of aspirational stuff that we are not, in fact, entitled to at all. No, it's true. And I, I mean, like, what, what would be some other others, by the way? Are we talking about, like, American Samoans? Like, what would be some other things that would be put into that other category, just just out of curiosity? Yeah, that's a great question. It depends on the organization asking and how they want to, you know, Bernays level frame it. So you might, uh, you might see things that like, so the U.S. is still grappling with how to classify uh, what they think of as someone, as someone's specific identification in the Latin diaspora, for instance, right? Uh, they might say, like, you, you probably used to see those things where it's like white, white Latino, non-white Latino, things like that. Other can include things like, um, like Melungeon, for instance, uh, a lot of smaller ethnicities that don't have uh, a large enough population to really show up on a pie graph, essentially. So you might see like maybe uh, Romani. Um, and it's also, it gives people an opportunity to say, you know, I'm not on this list, but I don't think I fit in any of these other categories you've listed. So I'm, you know, I'm Romani, I'm I am Melungeon, et cetera. You know, it's also an opportunity for a lot of people to be uh, to try out their 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 stand up chops. I'm sure there are a lot of crazy things entered on other. Like I'm a Robo American, and I, and I wasn't I wasn't trying to be flippant or dismissive in saying American Samoan. I know that's a category known as Pacific Islander. Um, you know, that would be a box. But what you this is not say the census. There there is intention. Well, I don't know. To me, implied intention in squashing down these groups into single checkboxes as opposed to having a more broad categorization. And, and to, to the point of, of, the, of the person that we referenced uh, earlier, it does feel like a way of uh, just kind of hodgepodging all of these inconvenient groups together into one box so they don't really have to address any specifics around it. That's, I think you've hit it on the head there, Noel, because there there are two things here. The first one is that, you know, we talked about how Native Americans in this country, indigenous peoples, are born with a right to health care. But what does that really mean? How does that translate, right? And also, why do they have that? Isn't it 
because of the treaties that were signed back in the day where all of the land and the resources on that land was just taken. Again, perhaps their land is an incorrect way to describe it, but the areas in which they lived were taken. Um, and the, the concept here was that as part of the treaty, one of the things you get are services like healthcare, housing, education, all of these things that were then provided by the the colonists, the colonizers, uh, us really um, from the past, and that's why there are things that exist called the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or the Indian Health Service, or the Indian Health Board, or the Indian the Nevada Indian Commission. But that agreement that was entered into a long, long time ago, or at least that concept of an agreement doesn't seem to be translating over all these years to actual health, like especially health and human services to, to assistance uh, in, in these populations. Yeah, exactly. So how bad is it? Think about this. If the Navajo Nation were a state, if there were 51 states and the Navajo Nation was one, then just a few weeks ago, it would have ranked third in the country for COVID-19 infection cases per 100,000 people per capita. That would put it just behind New York and New Jersey. To be fair, the, the nation is trying to test at a much higher rate than a lot of states. Uh, but the problem is growing because that would have been just a few weeks ago as number three. If it were state this, like last week, it would be the highest per capita rate of COVID-19 infection in the U.S. entire. The, the population uh, is being disproportionately affected by, by COVID-19. Yeah, and the problem doesn't seem to be going anywhere. In fact, it seems to be growing. In Arizona, uh, Native Americans make up 6% of the population, but 16% of the COVID cases. In New Mexico, they're less than 10% of the population, but one-third of all coronavirus cases. And again, nothing to do with biology here. Other than sex and age, there's absolutely no genetic reason for these populations to, to be seeing such a disparity um, in the, the number of cases. Uh, in, in that they're acquiring and dying from COVID-19 at such a higher rate than literally everyone else. Um, it really does come down to that othering that we talked about and that discriminatory attitude towards uh, this marginalized population in particular. And we're going to get more into why that might be after a quick word from our sponsor. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. So, like other populations in the world and in the U.S., this this population, the Native American population in the United States, was uh, not receiving adequate services or you know, like healthcare services before the pandemic. And you know what we're eventually going to be calling like the days before. You know what I mean? The old normal. Uh, things still frankly, sucked in terms of healthcare. Uh, the CDC, based here in Atlanta, by the way, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, had already done some studies indicating that this population experienced diabetes three times more than any other racial or ethnic group in the U.S., had the highest rates of asthma, and again, 
in the before four days, pre-pandemic, the federal health system that was serving the Native American population was already, by its own admission and by outside studies, confirmed to be chronically underfunded. So, so like, what's in a report? To that earlier question about other, right? We talked about the census earlier uh, in a previous episode and how it asked some questions that people find invasive at times, right? Uh, you know, you're asked to disclose things like your race, your ethnicity, your age, your income. In the midst of a pandemic, this data, when used ethically, helps us understand the underlying problems about how an infection takes hold in a given community. So so let's look a, a little bit into what the census had to say. Yeah, according to that census, half of all American Indian and Alaskan natives live in 10 different states within the United States, so 10 out of 50. As of April, all 10 had published some kind of racial demographic data, and six of those included a breakdown for Native Americans within their states. However, four did not. Texas, Florida, New York, and Michigan. And a spokesperson for the Texas Department of State Health Services said that Native Americans were categorized as, quote, other because their case numbers were simply small compared to the other groups that they were counting within, within this data. And then Abigail Echo Hawk, who we mentioned earlier, responded, uh, and this response, I, I feel, was uh, honest and blunt at a time when honesty and bluntness are needed. Uh, Echo Hawk said, quote, we are a small population of people because of genocide. No other reason. If you eliminate us in the data, we don't exist. We don't exist for the allocation of resources. You know, uh, I think that's a powerful statement and, and, you know, it alludes to some of the previous episodes or previous chapters, what I'm calling that horror story, uh, leaving Native populations out of public health information is not a new thing in this country at all. And it's not a, an historically distant thing either. It's a lot closer to a routine pattern of uh, negligence and abuse. Yeah, I mean, it's a form of like cultural erasure, really. I mean, when the CDC released its most comprehensive study to date on race and maternal mortality back in January, uh, it did not include native populations, even though the Urban Indian Health Institute in its own studies found that native women living in cities were more than four and a half times more likely to die during pregnancy and childbirth than white women. So then let's look to the Indian Health Services, or IHS, which serves 2.5 million tribal citizens across 37 states within the U.S. Um, they've, been pu they've been publishing daily reports about the outbreak, about the coronavirus, and how it's affecting you know, the people that they serve. Here's the, here's the problem, though. IHS can't track hospitalization or mortality data for most of the people that it's trying to serve, most of the patients because the majority of the facilities that they're actually trying to track or that these, these citizens get to go to, they don't provide intensive care. So critically ill patients, like one, you know, when you actually have COVID-19, um, they're, they're transferred to non-IHS hospitals. So then the data that, you know, that they would be recording with or the, the IHS would be recording is going somewhere else to some other group to try and, you know, hopefully get put into the, the data set somewhere else. But then guess what? It hits that other category. 
it's crazy. Yep. The only public national coronavirus database that is also reporting, uh, you know, specifically tribal affiliation is coming out of Indian Country Today. That's an independent, native-run newspaper. Uh, it has a team of 16 people, and they have been just 16, and they've been uh, working around the clock adding positive COVID cases and deaths that they can verify to a daily report you can find on on their website. And, and we want to mention again um, that while this is happening, you know, people are finding themselves in a situation where they feel rightly often that they cannot trust the federal government because they're not receiving the PPE they were promised. I love the caller pointed out the opportunity for bad actors, corruption and graft here. It's it, it's certainly happening. We haven't we haven't been able to find out where that uh, financial leak is, who's getting a VIG, but I am I am convinced it's out there. You can't you can't have government-private cooperation at this extent without someone taking a little taste, you know? Yeah, yeah, and we've even seen cases of um, shipments destined for hospitals being intercepted, you know, by the government and distributed to God knows who, God knows where, or for what ends, you know, because there's just no transparency there. This seems like a more, uh, even more insidious version of that. Long story short, people are falling through the cracks. And the big question here is whether that is through um, federal and state level incompetence, whether it's through negligence, or whether it is somehow through design, which I know might sound, you know, alarmist to a lot of us in the audience today, but we have to remember the precedent set by history, the earlier chapters in this book, when these sorts of things happened very much by design. So unlike states and, and counties, tribal systems can't rely on these healthcare systems to tell them when their citizens are sick or dying. They have to collect this information themselves. And that's incredibly dangerous because that means that you're flying blind. It's a tough situation to find yourself in. Uh, according to the National Indian Health Board, only half of the tribal government surveyed said they received COVID-19-related information from the federal or state governments, places where you know, a lot of uh, other counties and local governments are getting information from. And fewer than one-fifth had received money, technical assistance, or supplies. And specifically, we're talking about that PPE there, the ventilators, things that are going to be absolutely necessary. We talked about the problems with the um, the hospitals where a lot of the native populations can actually go to. This is just really a dire situation. And, you know, then you look to the that thing that a lot of people have been talking about in politics, the CARES Act, the uh, the bailout essentially, there was eight billion dollars that was allocated to tribes at the end of March. However, the payments didn't start rolling out until a week after the April twenty sixth deadline that was imposed by Congress. Um, that's that's a problem. Yeah, and there's just to just to put this in perspective, um, uh, to to put it in like a stark bleeding red meat headline here. Think about this. Due to the neglect 
on the part of your federal government, if you live in this country, the conditions on reservations right now, as we record this, are so bad that Doctors Without Borders, the Doctors Without Borders, has deployed inside the territory of the U.S. for the first time in history. Doctors Without Borders had to step in. Yeah, this is a group that goes to war-torn areas in the world that are dangerous to, to places where abs- there's if there's not help, then people will be dying all over and, and consistently. And they're here now. And this is only a snapshot of this gigantic problem that is affecting multiple communities in the United States, communities that have been historically brushed aside, uh, provably, demonstrably conspired against, ignored by the larger power structure, even in times when things are like relatively normal, you know, it is not hyperbolic to say that right now lives are literally on the line. Uh, earlier in April, still a little while ago, uh, senators, Senator Elizabeth Warren and Congresswoman Ayanna Presley had joined forces uh, with some other colleagues to introduce a bill that was specifically calling for consultation with tribal governments on this federal level info collection, and they wanted to allocate an additional $3 million uh, in funding to uh, IHS. Yeah, Warren went on to say, quote, you can't fix what you can't see. If we want to slow the spread of the virus and ensure our response is robust and equitable, we need comprehensive data on who's getting tested, who's getting treatment, and who is dying. Um, very much supporting this notion of breaking out that other category and getting more granular detail about this stuff because you can't do anything about it if you don't know it's happening. And, and one quick point there um, for the for the Warren quote. I know this this is interesting because uh, many of us may remember that during the earlier um, primaries, right when the DNC was figuring out who they would select to be the um, the Democratic candidate in the in the next election a few months from now, <laughs> maybe, uh, then Warren took some heat for uh, claiming to have Native American ancestry when in fact uh, it, it later came out that was that was not uh, that was not an accurate statement. So we want to acknowledge that. But we also want to acknowledge there is a problem here. And the American Medical Association, stepped in as well. They said, you know, look, telemedicine might help. Telemedicine, of course, is, is kind of like what we're doing when we record podcasts. There's a doctor on the other side. You describe your symptoms. They're able to observe you somewhat, you know. Uh, so they say maybe that could help mitigate the outbreak. They urge the current presidential administration to start collecting and publishing mortality data for coronavirus uh, by race and ethnicity. This scares people. Of course, whenever something is collected by so-called race or ethnicity, you know, it's it's always, uh, there's always the thought in the back of people's heads, which is unfortunately valid that will this later be used against me? So it's understandable that people would be afraid of that. Uh, but their idea, the AMA idea, is that this would expand our uh, system overall. It would expand our ability to combat misinformation. It would help us uh, prioritize testing and treatment, and it would make sure that the people who need help get the help they need. 
But is that going to be enough? You know, has the pandemic pigeon already flown the coop? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I would just like to jump back quickly to that CARES Act, the $8 million that's been allocated to tribes. Um, $8 million seems like a lot of money or sounds like a lot of money. Then you think about that that's going to have to be distributed amongst 37 states with all of these human beings, with all of these medical facilities. It, it's almost ludicrous to to think about such such a low number for that number of people and facilities. Yeah, I mean, it's truly a drop in the bucket when you think of how costly it is to uh, set up these kinds of, you know, healthcare infrastructures. I mean, it's the equipment is expensive, the construction's expensive, the expertise involved uh, require I mean, it's just it's 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 almost insulting. It is insulting. Yeah, well said. And and this is again, this is an ongoing development and it's one that has it has some reporting but you know we we mentioned the guardian for example because uh the uk has has been doing some good reporting on this uh also shout out to the atlantic doing some excellent journalism but this is this is definitely something that we need to be aware of and you know at various levels Beyond politics, at various levels uh, in the in the halls of government, this does seem to be something that people don't want you to know, uh, because naturally, how on earth would the public agree to this situation? Uh, what's being done to help uh, many other populations in similar dangers, right? Let us let us know what you think. Let us know what your experience is like on the ground. You know, as we record this, uh, many states, including our own, are practicing what has been called or branded as phased reopening, I believe is the term. Uh, as a matter of fact, peek behind the curtain. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been keeping track, but I, uh, I've been looking at whether or not our uh, the building where our office is based is going to open. I think the rooftop is open now, but uh, not the rest of it. I yet. just hope that the patio at our neighborhood uh, bar hangout, the local opens up soon. Kidding. But, uh, you know, it, it, it could well be in the cards. I, I wrote to those guys. Check it. Like, seriously, they're the best chicken wings in Atlanta. Uh, I, I wrote I wrote to those guys because uh, we all go there so much that we're pretty much friends with them. Uh, I wrote to those folks at the local and I was like, Hey, you know, what's, what, what's going on with the chicken wings? I felt like an attic. I felt, I felt like they could picture me scratching the inside of my elbow or something. Uh, and they're thinking maybe best case scenario, um, may, maybe like the mid June into June, but I don't know. Everybody, everybody in this country is waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we all have to decide that we're ready to go back out there. You know, not just the places opening, but the people, us, we have to decide we're okay with hanging out at a yeah, bar. Yeah, I mean, we've got basically a collective case of PTSD that we're probably all going to be struggling with for some time in terms of like how this is going to affect our behavior and what might trigger us. Not to mention if you actually either had the disease yourself or if you know someone that had it or God forbid you lost a loved one uh, or someone very cl close to you, you know, from from this disease. So uh, it's, it's, it's not just enough to say, okay, governor says everything's good, game on. 
You know, uh, that's not what it's going to take more than that. Although not to soapbox at all here, it has been a little troubling to see here in Georgia in particular how a lot of folks have taken that announcement of, quote unquote, opening back up the state as an all clear and are just flooding back out into the parks and droves with no masks. And, you know, it's it's happening in Italy, too. Um, the, the prime minister of Italy made a statement about how, hey, if you kids don't shape up, we're going to silicone you into your homes during this next wave or whatever. So, like you said, shoe droppage and uh, just come on, be a good steward, folks. Don't be a jerk. I, I've got to mention one thing, too, because it's a complex problem. It's something that applies across across the country now. You know, there are, there are so many people who started their business, right, when this was going down, right? There's so many, there's so many people who have to, because they have no support other than like a, uh, a, a fairly paltry um, financial net from the government. There's so many people who are like, I have to go back to work. I get it. I don't want to, but I also, you know, I like it when my kids can eat. Call me crazy. Like maybe, maybe feed them like uh, on a daily basis. I feel like I have to do this. It's, it's uh it's a rock and a hard place uh, for a lot of people. And this, this situation, um, you know, like we have to be careful in the soapbox, but I want to, I want to be, I, I have to play the part of that character and all those fairy tale tropes who shows up and is like, I have one more gift. Uh, so we have one more gift for you. Uh, the things that are happening now behind the scenes, the opportunism that is occurring because of this pandemic, we're not going, going to learn the full extent of it until several years from now. Bad stuff is going down. Very bad things on corporate level, on governmental level. Again, if you if you think about it from that perspective, if you want to be Machiavellian, now is the perfect time to do a lot of stuff that the public would ordinarily not allow you to do. And I think that's a danger of COVID nineteen. That's going to last for a for a long time. It's going to affect later generations. The changes that are happening now, the laws that are going to be enacted, watch out. As Noel said, be good stewards. This is this is going to take a lot of people having their eyes on it. But, you know, that's maybe a story for a different day. Uh, again, we hope this finds you happy and healthy. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us all over the internet. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Uh, you know, you can also... Take a note from our anonymous caller and give us a ring directly. Yes, our number is one eight three three stdwytk Call in, tell us what you think about this episode, give us an idea for another one. Uh, just talk to us for a while. We will listen, we promise. If you do call, we can see your number, we may call you back, and we may use your, uh, your recorded voicemail on the air. So let us know. If you don't want us to share certain things or you don't want certain things on or if you're just calling us to call us and you don't want it played at all. Um, I would just say the, to the person who called and let us know about what was going on there in the Nevada Indian Commission, please give us a call back with an update uh, if you can. Uh, we, we would love to know just what's going on now. Uh, you can also reach us as individuals if you wish. Um, I am on Instagram at Brown. You can find me at Matt Frederick underscore iHeart, I think. 
And you can find me, as always, in a burst of creativity, at Ben Bullen on Instagram. You can find me at Ben Bullen, HSW on Twitter, or, you know, Crossroads at Midnight, Mirror in a Dark Room, all, all the hits, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm around on them. Uh, if you don't, uh, if you don't cotton to the occult, uh, if you don't care for the new occult social media, uh, and if you're terrified of phones, which I of all people get, uh, there's always one way to contact us 24-7 every day of the year. Uh, Solstice Equinox doesn't matter. You can shoot us a note at our good old-fashioned email address where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.